Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Thursday afternoon. Getting close to the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad back from the dead, and Brian Scott Rippey on your radio sports talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and all that goes along with it for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank wants to help you with your land financing needs. MSLandBank.com if you're in North Mississippi because they know the lay of the land. Let me take you back to April 2018, so a little over a year ago. Hilton Head, South Carolina. Kelly Craft playing at the RBC Heritage PGA Tour event at Harbortown. Tee shot on the par 3, 14th hole, glanced off a giant black bird and fell into the water in front of the green. A bird flew away, and so did Kraft's chances of playing on the weekend. His quote, it cost me the cut. There was a helping wind. I hit a 7-iron, caught it perfect, probably 30 yards off the tee box, and this giant black bird swooped in front of it and hit it, and the ball fell 20 yards short in the water. It would have been in the middle of the green. Might have even gotten close. I got screwed. He said it's a little ridiculous that you can't re-tee and re-hit there. He said it's a dumb rule that you can't re-tee there. If you hit a power line, you can re-tee. And if a bird moves your ball while it's resting, you can replace it. There's nothing you can do about this. This has got to be more unusual than a hole-in-one. Two moving objects colliding. I mean, you hit balls all day long on the range, and you don't hit another ball in the air. Why on earth would I bring that story to you a little over a year later about a golf tournament that's not a major, while a major, the PGA Championship's going on. Well, yesterday, we were kind of following along the scoring at the Stanford Regional, where Ole Miss was in a fight with LSU for the fifth spot trying to advance to the NCAA Nationals. And all we could do was follow, follow along with the scoring. So all we were able to see that there was an Ole Miss golfer who made a 9 on a par 5 on the 7th hole, which was his 16th. At the time, Ole Miss, and I, I think Ole Miss and LSU were either tied or maybe the Rebels were ahead at that point. LSU ended up getting the 5th spot and advancing to the uh, the Golf Nationals. Here's what happened, though. Kid for Ole Miss pipes his tee shot, hits it right down the gut in the fairway, and they can't find the ball in the fairway. So he's got a penalty there. And on his approach shot to the green, he hits a bird in the air. 
killed the bird, didn't it? I would assume the bird is deceased. The bird goes down. The ball goes down. It's offline. He ends up making a nine without going out of bounds on the hole. And Ole Miss's golf season is now over instead of advancing to uh, Fayetteville next week for the uh, Men's Golf National Championship. What a bummer way to lose. Yikes. Wait till PETA finds out. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a dumb rule because, like, to your point, like Kelly Kraft kind of took the words out of my mouth there saying if you hit a power line or if a bird touches your ball after it comes to rest, you could, it doesn't count. But yeah. if the thing's in the air, like – should that Randy Johnson pitch a while back have been called a ball? Was it called a ball? I don't know. I do not remember the result of that, where he had the board bird explode. Yes, obliterated, obliterated the bird. That bird is dead, in case you were wondering. <laughs> long since dead. That bird's children are dead. It's been a long time since that happened. Johnny, hey, Dad, what's up, man? Did you just call me Johnny, hey, Dad? I did. I went with Johnny. That's my dad's name. Is it? Yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah. I'm good. How y'all doing? Did y'all miss me you feeling better? What, what was wrong yesterday? You didn't die, did I, you? No, I, if I did die, then this would be a hell of a show. Zombie apocalypse is upon us. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I just I was not feeling right yesterday. So, But I, I have reset. I pushed the reset button, and I'm feeling good today. Did you eat something bad at the ballpark on uh, on Tuesday night? I didn't eat anything at the ballpark, so I, I couldn't be it. I don't, I don't know what it was. I just woke up, and I was like, ugh. So, so you went back and laid in the bed all day? I, I took a nice long nap. I'll put it that way. Did you fight through it and still do your workout, or did you take a take a day off? No, I, just, I took a full day off of everything, so a little all behind, right. but I'll be all right. Glad to have you back, Johnny. I, I appreciate it, Richard. What's your dad's name? I'll call you that. Is it Richard? Uh, Don. Don. All right then. Yeah. Uh, Borky, what's up? A no pitch is what was called in the Randy Johnson bird hitting, so they just didn't count it. One way or the Anything other. Anything else would have been disrespectful to the bird. <laughs> it literally yeah. exploded. Literally. Yes, uh, yes, it did. So everybody's good today. We're glad to have you along. You can uh, text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Get an unbelievable offer on the new Google Pixel 3a now at C Spire for a limited time. Get the Pixel 3a on them with trade-in. Smarter tech, happier customers. Learn more at cspire.com. Cspire, customer inspired. On the text line, sounds like a birdie to me. <laughs> kind of put that one up on a tee for you, didn't we? we the dad joke Wednesday a while back. Dad joke Thursday. What was it, Borky? Yeah, it was dad joke Wednesday. Okay. Stay late, buddy. Were any of them good? A lot That's of them the are good. They're dad jokes. They're not good at all. They're, they're all they're bad. they're good in their badness. Yeah, bunch to get to with you this afternoon. Baseball final weekend of SEC play gets underway. Mississippi State hosting South Carolina, Ole Miss, Tennessee, in Knoxville, and Southern Miss has got UAB in Hattiesburg for the final weekend of the regular season. We'll talk with Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Also, John Machada from the Dallas Morning News will join us. My guess is we'll talk a little about Dak Prescott. It's the plan, yeah. Yeah. PGA Championship is underway. Uh, Brooks Kepka was really good this morning in his opening round, as in set a course record. 
This is not going out to pay, play Beth Page Black on a random Wednesday in July when you have to sleep in your car to get a tee time. This is championship golf conditions. He goes out and shoots a 63 and sets the course record in the opening round of the PGA Championship. Who's more talented, Brooks Kepka or Dustin Johnson? Brooks. Why? This game is more complete. Okay. I'd probably go DJ on raw talent, but better player, Kepka. Think Kepka's got it more together between the years? Well, he's yeah. got, I mean, he, he just doesn't care. I listened to an interview of his this week where he said he wishes golf was shorter because he gets bored on the course and he doesn't watch it at all in his spare time. He could not care less about the sport that he's one of the best in the world at right now. And is making a pretty handsome living as a result of play. Yeah, Not just on the course, but off the course as well. Feels like it, yeah. We will continue to look at the SEC football schedules today. Yesterday kind of got through the Eastern Division teams looking at stretches of difficult games and uh, just kind of taking an overall snapshot of all the views. One week from today, put it on your calendar, one week from today, we will begin the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. As of right now... We are 107 days until the August 31st big first weekend opening kickoff. Yes, I know that you do have some week zero games, including a big one with Florida and Miami, but we'll count it down to August 31st. We are 107 days away. And so a week from today, while we are in Hoover at the SEC Baseball Tournament, we will start the countdown of 100 teams in 100 days. We'll look at the uh, the SEC West today, though, and walk through the schedules of the uh, teams in the West and kind of look at the most difficult stretches that they've got. That's coming up. Zion Williamson's stepdad says, forget about the whole he's going back to Duke stuff. Forget about it. Which, Borky, is what you told us yesterday. We should all forget about it. Well, yeah, because it was a stupid premise to begin with, but the three push notifications I got from ESPN on the matter yesterday didn't change anything. I'm sorry that I missed that yesterday because I know that had to be peak angry Borky. The best part about that whole thing is, is like they're saying that he shouldn't do that because he didn't get selected. Like he's presumably not going to get selected by an organization like L.A. or New York, which are the two most dysfunctional organizations in basketball and probably sports. I don't talk about you like this, Rippy. Why are you going to be this way? I call you doctor. Just it, like it's some just, sweet irony. It's just the allure of the big market, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but the argument is New Orleans is a bad organization. Well, if New Orleans is a bad organization, then what are the Knicks? I think you could make a pretty fair argument that the Pelicans were a bad organization, but they have done a lot to change that in a short amount of time. Yeah, exactly. All of a sudden, everything's kind of coming up aces for the Pelicans. Uh, also, the transfer portal—it is a—it's uh, a busy place. It's like uh, uh, like you're sitting in DFW and uh, you're coming out of—I don't know. That's a terrible analogy. Never mind. For, forget that. There is more supply than there is demand. For players in the transfer portal. What does that mean? We'll get to all that this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Renaissance Bank studio on the C Spire text line. No complaints, I guess, if the ball had dropped in the hole. That's reasonable. John and Hurley says, what about Dave Winfield getting arrested in Canada for hitting a bird with a throw from the outfield? He got arrested for that? 
But didn't he aim for the bird? Who How is... do you aim for a bird? It was just sitting there. Rippy, you... Oh, it wasn't in the air. No. I don't believe. It's still pretty good accuracy. Oh, yeah. Uh, who's the guy that got kicked off of the PGA Tour for a year for... Uh, he was doing some kind of uh, event where he had a, a group following him and he was kind of walking them through how he goes about playing around. So it wasn't like in a tournament, but there was a bird down the fairway on a tree that just kept chirping and kept chirping. So he teed up and said a choice word and hit the ball in the direction of the bird to scare it away and hit and killed the bird. And he got kicked off of tour for it. Who was that guy? What? I didn't know any of these incidents existed, but Give baseball one second, and golf, I'll tell you who two that is. sports where you need more action. I don't think anyone should be discouraging fighting birds, animals, whatever. Spice yeah. it up a little bit. Uh, Wes in Batesville, Dr. BSR, official bird corner of Sports Talk. Thank you. Yeah, that bird is dead, he says. Um, to be able to tee one up and say, I'm going to hit that bird and then do it? And he ought to get, like, lifetime exemption to Augusta, not banned from the tour for a year. This is back in 2008. I'm reading from Bleacher Report. Uh, Trip Eisenhower killed a bird really? by intentionally hitting <laughs> golf balls at it. He now he faced animal cruelty charges for doing it. Holy cow. He's a golf channel analyst now. Yeah. <laughs> it was I a had no idea. He hit and killed a hawk with a golf ball. Oh, no, that's endangered a, now. Yeah, I was about to say, it had a big no no. Hawks and Eagles, I feel like. 300 yards away, he teed it up and intentionally hit a hawk from 300 yards away. <laughs> Again, that should be like lifetime exemption to all four majors, not you're fired for a year. So you can hit a hawk. 300 yards away. We can't get the ball in the hole, win a Masters. That guy was a scrub. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're gonna he's just trying to he's just trying to rattle his cage a little bit, though. Let's be honest. And then gets lucky, or I guess unlucky, as it turns out. How do you hit a hawk from 300 yards away and then sell the fact that you shot, you know, 78 on a Friday to miss the cut? How does that work? <laughs> Drive for show, putt for dough, baby. Oh, good Lord. Oh goodness. Uh, my buddy Johnny sent me this, and this is actually a real Johnny, not uh, not Brian Haydad. The ACC Network on ESPN has released its television schedule for the first three weeks of the season. Week one, uh, Thursday night game, Georgia Tech and Clemson in Clemson, South Carolina. Friday night game, Utah State at Wake Forest. And then a triple header on Saturday, East Carolina at NC State, Virginia Tech at Boston College, and Virginia at Pitt. A couple of conference games, three conference games in that opening weekend. It's pretty strong. Week two, William and Mary at Virginia on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dad, I, at one point in my life, I wanted to go to school at William and Mary. Really? You, yeah, you remember as a kid when you would get like the Athlon magazine? Did you yeah. do that? Oh, we were going oh, on yeah. some. We were going on some random vacation. I say random vacation. I think we were going to Washington, D.C. And so somewhere along the way, I like, got a college football preview magazine. And I was in, I think it was maybe the summer after my ninth grade year. And so I played football, but I knew I wasn't like going to play football in the SEC. But I kind of had this pipe dream of, you know what? I might could be able to play at a small school somewhere. Throw a football over those mountains. Something like that. 
And there was a picture in there of like the William and Mary quarterback, and I thought they had kind of cool uniforms, and I was like, hey, William and Mary might be a nice landing spot, and I just kind of always had an affinity for them afterward. Haven't really followed the tribe very much since. Some but, film. Yeah. <laughs> that probably would have ended the uh, the dream even sooner if I had done that. The uh, uh, Pitt-Virginia Week 1 will be an all-time uniform matchup, particularly since Pitt went back to like the old gold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So That's about be time sweet. they did that. They're so good. And when you say old gold, we're really talking more like yellow. Yeah, it's just yeah. a shame a place like that won't do what it takes to get the highest quality players. <laughs> That's only in basketball. Quadruple header on uh, week two, September 7th. Ohio is at Pitt. Looks like Pitt might be a mainstay on the old ACC network. As well they should be. USF at Georgia Tech. Yeah. ULM at Florida State. And then Miami at North Carolina. Oh, that's a solid. Careful, Seminoles. That's upset alert. And then in uh, week three, Kansas is at Boston College. Michael Borky's Furman Paladins headed to Blacksburg. Um, Bethune Cookman at Miami. I don't know that that one will do a lot in the uh, old ratings game. And uh, Virginia, again, three straight weeks for Virginia on the ACC network. Florida State at UVA. Clearly, they've made a calculated decision to put some good games on the ACC network early to try and convince people to subscribe. Here's a dumb question. Tell do, it. Do we get it? Uh, I don't know who your cable provider is, Borky. PlayStation View. What difference does it make? Well, then, yeah, you're going to get it on PlayStation View. But I think to Borky's point, like the people that still have like what you would constitute normal traditional cable packages, like myself. A lot of, yeah, like you don't get Pac-12, do you? Uh, I don't I do even get Pac-12. Pac-12. What are you working the with? Pac-12 Pac-12. The Pac-12 doesn't get Pac-12. I've got Dish Network. Oh. I had Uverse for a long time, and then their prices kind of got out of control, and I dropped it and looked hard at DirecTV, but I just, I've just i never been a big DirecTV guy. So I mostly have had DirecTV the last two years, and I don't think I've ever had Pac-12. I think I don't even think you can get it on DirecTV. No, it's not available. Yeah. That's been part of the, the issue uh, as well. Let's see here. Why does Pac-12 do everything terribly? Like, why would you not make that available to any provider? Because it's it's the brand. It's branding. They do everything terribly. Well, and that's, the, that's their they're strong in their brand. That and the differences between then uh, them and, and here. Nobody, there's no demand for it out there. If, so why when, not go where the demand is? There isn't any. For what? I would get it here. I really would. The Pac-12 network. Yeah, their programming's not very good either. I mean, like even with Pac-12 Network, I just yeah, I don't almost never watch it. Occasionally, I'll grab a baseball game. I feel like they show a lot of volleyball though. Not that there's anything like men's volleyball. Well, they're then, good at it out there. It's one of the few things that they're actually like noteworthy at. It's Conference of Champions, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> just ask Bill Walton. They should hire Bill Walton. Is what they should do. Yeah, he'd be talking about the Conference of Champions at one minute. At one point, they'd be say, "The bird, the bird that was hit by the golf ball. What did the bird do to deserve the golf? You know, come on." I watch Bill Walton his appointment programming every Thursday. He gets a Pac-12 game. Sometimes Sundays too. Yeah. I don't know who's got the ACC network at this point. I don't know who's signed on for it and who doesn't have it. We'll figure that out at some point along the way. Yeah, baseball coming up tonight in Knoxville. Ole Miss will send Will Etheridge to the mound. He's 5-5 five and five on the year, 58 strikeouts, 22 walks. 
against Garrett Stallings, a right-hander for Tennessee in Game 1, 7-3 and three on the season. Good strikeout-to-walk ratio, 91 strikeouts and 22 walks on the year. In Starkville, the pitching matchup, Ethan Small from Mississippi State, the fourth-year junior left-hander, 7-1 and one with a 173 ERA. He has 132 strikeouts and 19 walks. I'm doing that from memory. Is that accurate, Hey Dad? That is 100% accurate. There we go. Uh, and then Cam Tringali will pitch for South Carolina in Game 1. He's a redshirt freshman right-hander, 2-3 and three on the year with a 4.22 ERA. Regardless of how much you know or don't know about Cam Tringali, Mississippi State has the advantage tonight on the mound. Yeah. That's usually the case on Friday nights for Mississippi State with Ethan Small, but for sure tonight. Doesn't South Carolina really struggle with the plate as well? They struggle everywhere from the looks of their record. They're, they're, not, they're just not good. Remember they scored one run on Spartanburg the other evening. That's formerly right. Spartanburg. Yeah, formerly. Yeah, it's upstate SC now. Upstate. Spartans, buddy. Cam Tringali's a professional golfer, too. Guy wears many hats. No, that's not Tringali. It's Tringale, isn't it? It's pronounced Tringali. Yeah, but it's spelled the same pronunciation. Isn't it T-R-I-N-G-A-L-E? It is. In the golf world? This is a little G-A-L-I. Unless Borky misspelled it. No, I did not. Did he kill a baseball? That came straight from their game notes, so. Very good. I'm sorry, what was that? Could he kill a hawk with a baseball? <laughs> I mean, my guess is that he could. Right. I mean, I, I tend to think my five-year-old could kill a hawk with a baseball if he threw it just right. Just say. Don't mess with hawks, man. One stole a Pomeranian in my neighborhood about eight months ago. Dear God. Really? Yeah. Did the Pomeranian make it? No, it was gone. Ooh. Yeah, that was a sad next-door post. Tough way to go. Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball joins us next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday final weekend of the regular season. And who do we bring in to talk about it? None other than Johnny Baseball. Eric Sorensen from D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. What's up, my friend? Rich, good to hear from you, man. You know, this is my geek out period of the year, so you know I'm in a good mood. Yeah, I know you are. I kind of feel like you've cheated on us, Eric. We've been doing this for, oh, I don't know, five, six, seven years now. But now every time I turn on the radio, whether it's on SiriusXM or see on Twitter, you're on another radio show. All right, Rich, I've got it. I, I've been seeing other people. I just felt like I needed to move on for a little bit. But it's always good to get back in touch with you. You know that. You're my go-to. Well, you're awfully, uh, awfully kind. Final weekend <laughs> of the regular season. Some interesting matchups in the SEC. Feels like... Um, Certainly in the East, Vanderbilt is in in great position not to have any trouble. And Arkansas with a little bit of room in the West, but maybe a more challenging matchup having to go to A&M. Yeah, I was kind of just looking at it, Rich, and I kind of thought, yeah, Vandy and Arkansas, they're going to be national seeds, top eight, I should say. And I think Georgia and Mississippi State both have a chance to do the same. I think those four 
maybe not locks necessarily, but I think Vanderbilt, Arkansas, if they win their if they win their division, certainly would be a lock for a national seed. But yeah, those four teams, I think have got a really good shot at being the regional or top eight national seeds through the regionals and super regionals. And yeah, Arkansas kind of they've got a bit of a tussle. They're going to go to Texas A and M. A team that is ranked and that is trying to get, you know, trying to get its foothold in maybe a top eight national seed or at least a home regional. So you know they're going to be motivated. So yeah, tough, tough uh, weekend for them for for them matchup wise. A uh, and M's pitching is really, really strong. In fact, I was thinking if anybody has a chance to really make a run, it's it would probably be like that's a little off the radar if you want to put it that way. I'd say A and M might be one of them just because their arms are so good, but and their bats. Bats are potentially good, but not quite reaching potential yet. But they have a, they have a chance to, though. Yeah, I'm I'm not impressed with A and M's offense or offense very much. But the thing is, this weekend with no Asa Lacy because of the ejection last weekend, that's oh, a that's huge right. blow for A and M. I totally forgot about that, Rich. I'm glad you reminded me. Too many things on my brain, I guess. But yeah, that is definitely a big blow to lose your to lose your ace and going into the last weekend. And again, they've got a shot at getting a home regional. They got it. They can't. Uh, they can't. You know, they can't crap the rug right now if that's if that's going to happen. But man, Asa Lacy, two point zero run ERA, and, and for him not to be and over a hundred strikeouts on the year for him not to be in, that's going to be tough. But you know, there's there are bigger fish to fry in the weeks ahead. So maybe it's good in a way that it happens now that he has the suspension now instead of you know in two weeks or something like that. Well, I get it, and I understand what the rule is. I just we were talking about this yeah. some yesterday, and you know the the thing is, the strike zone is bad, the pitcher gets thrown out, and there's no repercussion for the guy that's got a terrible strike zone. Yeah, that's right. That doesn't seem fair. I mean, come on, Blue, pull your pants up on this one. You know, I just yeah, I, I agree with you on that. You just can't you can't go out there and balls and argue balls and strikes. It's one of those unwritten rules in baseball that. If you do that, you'll get run. And if that was the case, you know, I'm not going to put too harsh a blame on the blue, but you know that you just can't do it. I mean, that's just the thing that uh, that is that is uh, unwritten rule about baseball, man. All right, E. Most important question I'm going to ask you, and this has stumped everybody that I'm that I've asked. Sure. There are 12 teams that will go to the SEC tournament. 11 of the spots are spoken for. You've got three teams fighting for the last spot: Kentucky. South Carolina and Alabama are all seven and twenty. And listen to the opponents this weekend: Kentucky hosting Vanderbilt, Alabama going to Georgia, South Carolina going to Mississippi State. So the three worst teams in the league are playing three of the four best teams in the league. Who is going to get the twelfth spot? That's a tough one. I I would kind of say because they're at home and because they're playing a team that might not care a lot what happens this weekend because their lot in life is kind of fixed already. I'm thinking Kentucky might have the best chance. I know South Carolina's had a lot of injuries in the pitching staff and whatnot, but I'm still I, I'm going to go with you know Kentucky playing at home. Home is a big thing, and playing against the Vanderbilt team that's you know they're not world beaters, but they're definitely good. But they might not be this weekend just because they might be you know again their lot in life is pretty much sealed. They know what they're, where they're going and what they're going to be doing. So Vanderbilt's kind of a team I'm looking at the next two weeks as just kind of maybe going through the motions. Possibly, I'm not saying that they'll do that. Tim Corbin will probably get on their butts enough not to do that. But yeah, I like Kentucky's chances way better than than uh, South Carolina's or Alabama's going into this weekend. All right, we'll see how that uh, how that shakes out. Um, Right. 
If you see Santa Barbara ends up hosting a regional in Vegas, are you there? Yes, I'm there, and I'm going to lose all my money. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to make all my money back at the craps table. But I would definitely love that. I think that's one of the things that, you know, like when the NCAA expanded to 64 teams back in 90, was it 99, 2000, whenever that first started, they kind of went a little off-piste sometimes with regionals. You know, they kind of had some, like, two two seeds would host once in a while, or they would have some neutral site regionals. So I would love to see that. If Santa Barbara does end up top 16, I would love to see them host in Vegas. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. I think that I think that'd be cool. Hey Eric, it's Brian. Hey Dad. Just looking ahead to hey, the to the regionals, Mississippi State. I, I keep seeing them around the four seed range, five seed range. Who are some potential yeah. opponents for them on the other side of the bracket? Who could they be matched up with? Are you talking about in the uh, in the NCAA tournament? You mean right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, a lot. Of, I mean the the. If, if you're talking about like going from a five going up against what would be five against twelve, I guess if it, if that's the case, Santa Barbara might be there. That's true. Oklahoma State would be another team that's come on very strong, and of course, winning three at Oregon State two weeks ago really put them on the map. I think those would be two teams that they could end up against. You kind of it, it would be tough to you never know what's going to happen with those two teams. So a little bit they can be a little bit a uh, little bit inconsistent sometimes, but. You know, still, this is going to be Mississippi State playing at home. No matter who they have going there, you got to like their chances. Uh, if it is uh, the Cowboys or the Gauchos, or maybe even like a Stanford who doesn't get a lot of love in the top as far as the rate of the RPI goes, I'm not sure if the committee will go exactly as the RPI is. That would put them in that range to play like opposite of, of Mississippi State, though, too. I know you've spent some time in Coral Gables through the years, Eric. Miami, yeah. are they back? Are they trending in the right direction? I mean, this feels like a oh, yeah. kind of a new Miami that's trying to start over from the uh, the glory days of Jim Morris. Yeah, no, that's an interesting thing though, Rich, because they got Gino Damari there, who's always he's been their recruiter for the recruiting coordinator the last few years. He does a great, he's one of the best recruiters around. So I think that's one of the good things about them making him the head coach. And yeah, I think. Uh, Excuse me. They got a lot of freshmen that are playing. I think they're starting four freshmen in the starting lineup, and they're going to have a good good years to come. But Gino Damari has been the key. I think he's been the key to turning them, rejuvenating the program. They're at sixteen eleven in the ACC. I definitely th- think the Hurricanes are back. West Coast baseball. You you live on the West Coast. UCLA sitting there at number two in the RPI. You you mentioned Stanford a second ago. We know Oregon State won the national championship <laughs> a year ago. Is yeah. there a team that you think is not only capable of getting to Omaha, but uh, but winning it all once they get there from the West Coast? Yeah, well, I mean, the, obviously you're going to look at the top of the Pac-12 with uh, UCLA, Oregon State, and Stanford all tied for the lead in the Pac-12 right now. Any of those three teams, pitching and defense-wise, are strong enough to win a title, and that's what it takes once you're in Omaha. And don't don't sleep on the Gauchos. I like to see Santa Barbara a lot. Their pitching is really strong, and they have a much better hitting team than they have the last few years. All four of those teams I really see as legit shots to get to Omaha, and especially with UCLA, Oregon State, and Stanford. Again, pitching defense, you can win it all once you get there with that alone. And the and the hitting has been a bonus this year. All three of them hit pretty well, too. So, yeah, there's, there's going to be a strong contingency from the West this year. I think a, uh, two teams probably get into Omaha from that from the West region this year. But how do you know anything about the Gauchos when they haven't played a single game, not one game on their <laughs> schedule against anybody in the top 50 of the RPI? That's true, and that's the thing that stinks about the big, the big West 
Big West is just a conference, seems like a conference in decline. I probably don't have a lot of listeners from the Big West in your listening area, so I can no, say it. No, I don't think so. It really sucks. Yeah, it really sucks. The Big West is terrible, and I don't see it getting much better. A lot of those schools are like state schools that don't get a lot of money. It's not like they're a Mississippi state that are sitting on just a pool of money um, from donors and whatnot. So, yeah, it, it's it's not a great conference. I still think Santa Barbara, good team. I mean, the pitching-wise, they've just got – It's I'm going on talent only. Obviously, they haven't played the greatest schedule, and they can't help a lot of that because their conference is so weak. But the pitching is strong just because they've got so much talent in the pitching pool. I'm really looking to see what that turns out like this year in the NCAA tournament. Because, yeah, normally if you play a two-lane or you play a Missouri State, those are pretty good teams in the non-conference. But this year, those two teams haven't been great. Uh, Two-lane's only up in the 80s of the RPI. And so, yeah, they are a mystery team. I will say that for sure. But let's see what happens. I I like their pitching a lot, and their hitting is much better, as I said. A strong, the best-hitting team in the Big West. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, there's a lot for those guys to prove, Rich. I agree with you on that. All right, 10 seconds. Give me the winner of the SEC tournament next week. Oh, the team that really wants it the most. I don't think the top four really care enough. I like Texas A&M. I know that's a real upset pick because their their offense is weak. But I'm going to pick Texas A&M just because they're going to be the most desperate. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, Eric. Enjoy the weekend. You got it, Rich. Appreciate it, buddy. Eric Sorensen joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Here's an interesting note. A guy who's spent the last few years in Mississippi kind of in and out of football coaching jobs. A little XFL story for you. Bob Stoops has named Hal Mummy as his offensive coordinator of the XFL Dallas team. Huh. Didn't he blow us off on a radio interview one day? Yes, he did. And he texted me like an hour later, Hey, I'm good now. <laughs> Just said no thanks. Yeah, thanks. Was, <laughs> thanks. When I was interning at the Clarion Ledger, I got it tasked with putting together like the smaller schools football preview, and how Mummy kind of did a similar thing. Like blew me off initially. I think he called me at like ten thirty or eleven o'clock on a Sunday night and was like, "Sup? Hey, coach, ready to do the thing?" I was like, "I guess I'll get out of bed." <laughs> like, geez. <laughs> Credited as being the inventor of the air raid offense. Bob Stoops is named Hal Mummy as offensive coordinator. Walked over That'll be a and fun watched, team to watch. Could be. I walked over and watched one of his uh, his Bellhaven teams play when they opened. They opened a new stadium there. A couple, I guess it was two years ago, three years ago now, maybe. Um, and it was. Did it cost more than Missouri's baseball stadium? <laughs> equal capacity, probably. <laughs> Um, but and it was just a few blocks from my house. I lived in that neighborhood for about a year and, and walked over and, and watched them play, and they got, got beat up pretty good. But still, it it was kind of unique to see that guy who I grew up knowing and, and watching coach at a big time level. And I walked a couple blocks from my house to go watch him coach. It was a, a weird experience, but kind of cool at the same time. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Have you toyed with the idea, or are you planning right now, to build a house in the country? Well, if you are and you're in North Mississippi, do yourself a favor. Get in touch with Mississippi Land Bank and talk to them about the financing options that they've got available. 
See, if you try to just go to your regular mortgage person or your regular banker and say, hey, I, I bought this 45 acres outside of town and it's got a creek on it and I want to build a house, they're going to kind of look at you funny because you don't necessarily have all the right comps or it doesn't fit into the neat little box that they need to do your traditional mortgage financing. But at Mississippi Land Bank, they've been financing land and all that goes with it for over 100 years. And so they understand the nuance that goes with a house that's being built in the country and that it takes a little bit different type of product and maybe a little more flexibility. Mississippi Land Bank, fantastic people. They've got branch locations all over North Mississippi. You can find them online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. The ceasefire text line is open to you. That number is 601-879-4395. Some of what's happening on the ceasefire text line, uh, there was a question about a Napoleon Dynamite reference. Philip and Starkville says the Missouri fans say, show me, so they have that. There was a Richard Cross Sing reference. Dave in the Delta says golf is also a verb. Whether you wish to use it is a matter of preference, but it is more effective. And Russell says, man, y'all are giving Mizzou hell today. It happens. I learned that you have a parody Twitter account, by the way, Richard. I didn't know that until right now. Yeah, it's not very funny, though. It's not. Well, well don't even no parody him anymore. I'm about to make it funny. What is it? It's it's not Rich Cross. I'll go ahead and give you a, a heads up. All are you going by accounts? Rich now? No. Eric no. Sorensen called you Rich? Yeah, Eric Sorensen's been calling me that for a long time. Okay, Rich. No parody the account associated with the Egg Bowl rivalry on either side is funny. Not one. There is not one. They're all terrible. Well, because they end up just not like trying to they be funny. They don't you know? commit to the gimmick. No. You know, they started out with, "I, I'm, I'm fake Joe Moorhead," and two weeks later, it's, "Look at this, Donald Trump is the greatest." And it's, it's just, it never. They don't commit to the gimmick. Is this your favorite whiskey? What's what is it? Bourbon. What does it say? Elijah something. That's Elijah the profile Craig. picture of this not rich cross. Um. Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> you big Joe Burrow guy because you have Joe Burrow pajamas. Uh, feel the burn on that one? Not really. I'm like I keep thinking done. you're going to get to something that's going to make me chuckle. I, I, I don't understand this account. <laughs> They're all bad. They're it's all like somebody bad. just set up their own Twitter profile and said, "Hey, I'm going to call it a Richard Cross parody account." Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Uh, whatever. This one's works a bit for aggressive. What's that? The LSU band sounds like a European police siren, and that car is just following you around. Please drive a fork into my temple. That's on my parody account? It is. Never heard you use that phrase. No. No, and I like the LSU band. Kind of punches the hole of the theory there. All right, so yesterday we started walking through schedules of teams in the SEC East, and... Today we will do that with teams in the SEC Western Division. For going alphabetically, that means you begin with Alabama. And kind of the premise, hey, Dad, I know you were out yesterday, so you got a little catching up to do. I don't know if you did your homework overnight or not. Um, I, kind of I, looking come, for, I come to work ready to work, so don't worry about me. Yeah, well, okay, good. We're trying to kind of group games together and see if there's a, a difficult stretch or what is the most difficult stretch on the schedule for each of the teams. Obviously, Alabama's going to be favored in probably every game they play. Yeah, in the regular yes. season, they're going to be favored in every game they play. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a little bit more difficult for Alabama 
It's got to be the stretch, though, for the Crimson Tide. I mean, there's not really a difficult stretch on their schedule. No, Richard, and they have a bye week before their two toughest games on the schedule. Hmm. I mean, I guess hmm. LSU at Mississippi State? Maybe? Yeah, and I mean, then the going whole, to Auburn two weeks yeah, later after the, the a... The month of November is, is their toughest stretch. They have... LSU at state and then at Auburn. Uh, surrounded by a, a huge game with Western Carolina. But, but Borky, are you faulting them for setting it up that way? Because that seems that they're just smarter than everyone else. No, the SEC does that. That's not Alabama's choice. That is SEC scheduling doing that. Fair enough. Well, but but teams get a little bit of say so in that. It's just kind of funny how Alabama, above everybody else in this well, schedule, has a bye week before their two wasn't toughest it like games. Two years ago, though, two or three years ago, where Alabama played like six straight teams coming off a bye week. I think Notre Dame, for whatever it's worth, has seven teams coming off of a bye on their schedule this year. You think the church could handle that? But I guess not. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not the, a conspiracy guy. Just that's how it works out. But man, Alabama has a, a schedule that they can easily, for them, navigate. If, well, for for the record, also LSU does, and and now almost permanently has an open date before they play Alabama as well. If Ole Miss were to win the twenty nineteen Egg Bowl, would you get conspiracy theories about them having a bye beforehand? Without a doubt, but Mississippi State has a, a natural built-in. They play Abilene, Abilene Christian the week before. Okay, here's so. a question: What would you rather have, an off week or a beat up a really weak opponent week before the Egg Bowl? Stay a little sharper with that, you know, and just. You have the injury risk, obviously, but you know playing a team like that, I mean, you should be able to have all your starters out of the game by the end of the second quarter. Opened up. Off week, DK Metcalf broke his foot against Wofford. Fair. <laughs> Hence your line about the injury concern. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I mean, now. look, there's not a stretch of, oh, gosh, that's a scary stretch on the schedule for Alabama. But well, that's because Alabama is the monster. They're I understand the Jason. that. They're the they're the Freddy Krueger. No, I I understand that. But they don't have Texas A and M on the road, and then LSU, and then Auburn in consecutive weeks. And because two, that's a stretch where you go, ooh, look out. And there, there two is East no stretch are, that's going to make me say that about Alabama, unless they somehow add Clemson and Ohio State to the, the schedule. Those aren't happening. Well, then I'm not worried about it. Well, if you had at A&M, LSU, at Mississippi State, back-to-back-to-back, we'd circle that. I might raise an eyebrow. Yeah. I mean, the game on the schedule, once again, for Alabama is LSU on November 9th. And it's only the game if LSU is really good. State's off that week. Great. I get to watch the whole thing. Maybe you can go. Ooh. I could go. We can get credit. Go to Tuscaloosa for that. I might do it. Um, Arkansas, three three week stretch that stretches that goes from October into the first week of November. Auburn at Alabama, Mississippi State. They're two at of the three are at home. That too. Yeah, but I'm talking about like the difficult part. Yeah. The difficult part for Arkansas starts on August 31st and it ends on November 30th. That's a tough You're poking holes in this exercise. I'm just saying Arkansas is not going to be very good. Yeah, at Kentucky is probably not easy for them this year. Yeah, it's not going to be easy for them to win on the road against anybody. 
Does Ben Hicks make them interesting at all? I think it makes them a little bit interesting. Doesn't is he going to start or is Nick Starkle going to start? That's fair too. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll keep looking at the schedules for the Western Division teams when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. It's been a week that's moved quickly or slowly. This has felt a little slower than some recent weeks for me. Really slow. Just it's normal. Slow week. Yeah. Slow Every week, week feels the same to me. I just felt like, yeah, I think I spent all day yesterday feeling like it was Thursday. And so when I woke up today and it was actually Thursday, I was like, hold on. We got two days left in the week. Whatever. So we looked at Arkansas' schedule, and Hey Dad just went with that they're going to be terrible, so every game is hard. True. My, my vote on kind of a, a string of games would be Auburn, Alabama, Mississippi State. If you had to piece together three, you've got the, the road trip to Kentucky before that. What about for Auburn? You, you, you look at the... There, I mean, there are two options. For me... I agree. It's at A&M, Mississippi State, at Florida. Which one of the two is more likely to start the passing round of the hat for the $50 million buyout or whatever it is? Well, I mean, you look at that stretch right there. If they're one and two in that, they should at that point they should have three losses. I think Oregon will beat them. Yeah, that's going to start on August 31st when they lose to Oregon. <laughs> right. Are they going to lose to Oregon? I can't wait. <laughs> Because Auburn can fake it in the opener pretty good. They have a little bit of a history with that. They beat Washington last year. Now, Washington didn't turn out to be that great, but like Auburn was a wreck. Oregon in the opener, then Tulane and Kent State. Then it's at A&M, home for Mississippi State, at Florida. I feel like we're including Mississippi State in several of these toughest part of the schedule conversations, but is that a function of Mississippi State being pretty good, or is it just a function of Mississippi State happens to be grouped in the schedule surrounded by a couple of teams that are pretty good, and Mississippi State's going to be okay? It could be a little bit of both, to be totally honest. I mean, for Alabama, Mississippi State traditionally plays them relatively tough, even though last year they lost 24-0. They was, I mean, they, they didn't get out of there easy. Um, but it's between LSU and Auburn, so that's what we're talking about. With Arkansas, Mississippi State's had their number, so you should include it. With Auburn, State's had some success against them, but it's sandwiched between at A&M and at Florida. That's two tough road trips. So that's sort of just a – that's more a function of where they are on the schedule. Let I mean, the other option – Looking at LSU just ahead, I'm going to put Mississippi State Well, in don't do that two. yet. We're, well, no, we're not to LSU yet. I'm just saying. Let's say Auburn goes 3-3 three and three before their October 12th bye week. Okay. Does Gus Malzahn coach the game at Arkansas? Um, probably not. I'm going to go yes. That's a bit of a quick trigger. Okay, so I'll expand my question then, since you said yes. They win at Arkansas, lose at LSU. Does he coach against Ole Miss? Yes, but in both cases, he probably wishes he were the coach at Arkansas. (laughs) (laughs) But I think he probably makes it. I could be wrong. You never know. It depends on how they lose the games, right? Because, like, like I mean, okay, let's 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 finish this out though. Auburn goes seven and five. They're firing him, right? Absolutely, eight and four. One hundred percent. Yeah, eight and four. They probably fire him. 
Seven and five with losses to Oregon, A and M, Florida, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. See ya. So in reality, he's going to have to go win at Florida or at LSU or perhaps both. Or at A and M. I don't see that happening. I would give him a better shot to win at Florida at LSU. But now, uh, in the same token, I mean, they they could beat Oregon, and then they get to kind of walk through games with Tulane and Kent State, and then go to A and M, who I expect to be better. But I mean, it's not like Auburn's recruited a bunch of bums over the last five years, so they still will have talent on that team. And, yeah, I mean, and they're probably. I mean, are they going to beat Georgia at home? Borky, that's it. No. Well, I'm not saying they are, but weird stuff between those two teams in late November has happened before. Like, would that utterly stun you? It wouldn't stun, especially stun with an you. off yeah, week before. That would not stun me. And that would be like a huge... You talk about a rallying cry point, if they're not doing that well compared to like going into that and then he beats Georgia off a of bye week. Porky, I think the point you're raising is an interesting one, though, because it's real easy to see a route to 3-3 three and three for Auburn through six weeks of the season. Now, let, let, let me back up just for a second. To take your 3-3 three and three one step farther, if they're 2-4 and four after the Florida game, yes, they're firing him in the open date before they go to Arkansas. Yeah. And that's possible. Mississippi State could beat Auburn. Yes, they could. Yeah. But let's play the other side of the coin just for a second. To Borky's point, let's say they beat Oregon. And then they walk through Tulane and Kent State. They're 3-0. and They steal one in College Station to get to 4-0. They beat Mississippi State. So now they're 5-0 and and ranked in the top 10 in the country going to Gainesville? Well, then he's safe until season's end. But then if he finishes it losing to Florida, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, he's probably going to get fired. Yeah, maybe. If you go from five and zero to eight and four, I don't think they're going to go to eight and four though. If they start out five and zero, we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't. I don't. They, they aren't going. I to think Auburn's five. fascinating this year. What about LSU? Georgia, Southern, Texas, Northwestern State, Vanderbilt to start the year on the road against Texas, on the road against Vandy. Well. It's technically on the road against Vandy, but 90% of that stadium will be wearing purple and gold. Yeah. So that's either 3-1 and one or 4-0. and oh. Mid-section yeah, of the well. season, 3-4 of four at home in the middle part of the season. Utah State, Florida, at Mississippi State, and Auburn. And then another open date. So LSU's got that symmetry, the 4 open date, 4 open date, 4. The final four-game stretch is the one for LSU that concerns you, where they go to Alabama, they go to Ole Miss, they've got Arkansas, and then Texas A&M. And if we're being honest, it's the the Alabama and the A&M that bookend that four-game slate that that really concern you for LSU. Right. Man, you, you, you guys may think I'm crazy. LSU could go 11-1 and one this year. They could very well be undefeated going into that game against Alabama. They could, I was going to say they have a good shot at ten and two, but I guess if you give them the win over Texas, eleven and one. Yeah, I mean to me that's the difference in whether or not they're. Now Auburn's been weird for LSU the last couple of years. Texas will. I mean, that will be difficult. Knocking out a no league road game either. at Vandy is a big plus for them. Say it again. Knocking out a league road game at Vanderbilt is a huge plus for them because obviously it's not one of their regulars. Like that's a huge break. Yeah, it, it is. And you get Florida at home after a de facto bye week. 
Does eleven and one LSU win the West, or is that second to undefeated second. Alabama? It's second okay. to undefeated Alabama. All right, so so let's again let's take it one step farther. Eleven and one LSU, whose only loss is to Alabama. College football playoff team. Yes, if Texas turns out to be really good by the end of the year, and that win actually carries weight. And it depends on what happens with Georgia. If if you have a Alabama and Georgia undefeated in the SEC championship game, then even the loser of that game might stay in. Scenario for you: twelve and zero Alabama, eleven and one LSU, twelve and zero Georgia meet in the SEC championship. Could the college football playoff committee send three SEC teams to the playoff? I know some other things have to happen, but let's say Ohio State's got a new coach coming in. They've got a new quarterback to break in. They could lose a couple of games. Michigan's not going to be good enough to make the playoff. Clemson will will be 12-0 out of the ACC. The Pac-12 may not deliver anybody that's good enough. If LSU Oklahoma beats be Texas, good. I mean, that, that's a very possible thing. And all three teams would probably deserve it if it plays out that way, would they not? Deserves got nothing to do with it, though. It's, they're, they're, there's just right. no way. Yeah, but, there's yeah, just but, no but hold way. on a second now. Hold on a second. When you say there's just no way, we're talking about rankings. We're not talking about a committee just pairing these teams up. We're talking about ranking the teams and getting to the final rankings. So let's say LSU loses to Alabama. And it's close. In, okay, close game on November 9th. So they fall to... If they were undefeated going into that game, they're a top-five team. Let's say they fall to seven. And then they win at Mississippi State, and they beat Western – I'm sorry, they win at Ole Miss, they beat Arkansas, they beat Texas A&M, and all this crazy stuff's happening around. Let's say that Texas has beaten Oklahoma in the regular season, but they've got a couple of losses. Oklahoma's lost to somebody else, so they've got two. To Borky's point, Ohio State's dropped two. Penn State has got two losses floating around out there somewhere. If it comes down to an 11-1 Michigan, an undefeated Clemson, an undefeated Alabama, a one-loss Georgia where that only loss was to Alabama in the SEC championship game and a one-loss LSU, are you automatically pushing Michigan ahead? If it, Are they the Big Ten champs in that scenario? Yes, I am. Okay, yeah, well, that, no, no, that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable question. So if it's a one-loss Michigan that wins the Big Ten, then yeah, they're going to be in ahead of a one-loss LSU. Or if they're not ahead of a one-loss LSU, then the loser of the SEC championship game falls out. There's a chaos scenario there where everything else around the country happens and those three things happen in the SEC? I don't think it's as crazy a scenario as you might think. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. All right, so let's make it undefeated Alabama, one loss Georgia to Alabama in a close game in the SEC title game. One loss LSU, whose only loss is to Alabama. And a two-loss Michigan that is the Big Ten champ. And, and in this scenario, Clemson is undefeated. I have a feeling that they would give it to Michigan to avoid the three SEC teams thing, but there would be a big fight against it. Do you know how much fun that would be? For us? Well, no, I just mean, like, general chaos. 
Boys, if you want an eight-team playoff, you better pull for that scenario. And then because it will it will be in place next year. And then throw in a one-loss Oklahoma just just for fun. Hmm. Wait, no. But but they would be Big Twelve champs if they were one loss only because the Big Twelve's got the championship game now. A one loss conference champ, I think, would trump a one loss non non champ, right? Unless we're getting uh, can we get into a scenario where LSU beats Texas, but Oklahoma's one losses to Texas, and that <laughs> if everything works out, that might be the only ranked team that Oklahoma plays all season. Gross. Uh, here we go. C Spire text line. Phillips says, hey, Dad never did his homework. That's why he does this for a living. It's not true. Jeff and Grenada. Rippy is funny. He's so dry. I love it. George and West Point. Alabama is the John Wick of college football. You send Alabama to take care of the boogeyman. True story. With the... Would the difficulty change if Georgia played the same schedule as Alabama? Georgia is recruiting as good as Alabama. Just curious. So if you gave Georgia's, if you gave Alabama's schedule to Georgia, would would that be a more difficult schedule then? Well, Georgia has Notre Dame in the non-conference. I mean, that, no, no. I'm saying if you if you just replace the name, if Georgia played Alabama's schedule this year, oh, that's what you're saying. Would you look at that schedule the same way, or do you only look at that schedule that way because it's Alabama? I would. The only game I would be concerned with at that point, if it was Georgia, is, is LSU. Dan in Charleston, any late info on the transfer quarterback that State was looking at, the kid from Penn State? We're still waiting. He, he visited. All the indications are he's going to commit to Mississippi State, but nothing is official yet. When we talked to Moorhead on uh, Monday, and he said, hey, I can't say anything about it. Quinn asked Borky to please use his magic socks to make the playoff scenario come true that we were just discussing. See, i got to be selective on when I pull those things out again. Oh, that would be worthy of pulling them out. What, well, I know the next time is going to be when my wife goes into labor, throwing those bad boys on. And then Smart. after that, I don't know. Tim in Columbia. I'm kind of with you, Tim. I'm getting a little jazzed up with this conversation. He says, I love it, I love it, I love it. These are great scenarios. Can we start college football this Saturday? Joe in Oxford with his own scenario. LSU loses to Texas, but goes undefeated the rest of the year. Does a one-loss Bama get in? Ooh. (laughs) Joe coming strong. That's good stuff well, there. The answer is yes, right? Because they, we have precedent that they and Ohio State both have received the benefit of the doubt. Even though the committee changes slightly, they both have gotten in under circumstances that maybe others wouldn't have. So the answer is yes, right? I believe so. What about the undefeated Fighting Irish this year? That's an interesting undefeated. question. They're not going huh? undefeated. They're not going undefeated. they got to play Georgia. What? Okay. And that's in Athens. They're losing that game. That not that the most difficult game on Georgia, uh, Notre Dame's schedule? Probably. But, I mean, that would be the most difficult game on almost everybody's schedule that plays Georgia. Maybe maybe Auburn is the only school that's different. Tennessee. Seven of Notre Dame's opponents have a bye week before they play. 
Notre Dame opens at Louisville, then they host New Mexico, then they go to Georgia, host Virginia, host Bowling Green, host Southern Cal, go to Michigan, host Virginia Tech, go to Duke, host Navy, host Boston College, go to Stanford. They're losing two. Which two? Georgia and Michigan. Okay. I could be, I could be in agreement with that. Yeah. But they're definitely losing to Georgia. To me, to see if Ole Miss had an open date on October twelfth. I was thinking that'd be a pretty good road trip for uh, the Cross kids to go see Notre Dame, Southern Cal, and South Bend in October. They do not. That is when they are but in they're Missouri. 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 And you can skip that yeah. one. You gonna fill in for me, Borky? I will. I got it. Yeah, I'll keep it to okay. Hey Dad. Who's state? Who's right. state playing? State's at Tennessee. Have you know? Haven't been yeah, to either you one can't, of those stadiums. You can't skip so. that one. Sorry. Oh yeah. well. I can't be in Columbia a few days before my due date. You know what I mean? Okay. I'll just have to catch another damn game another time. Or just find somebody to do it. I mean, I'll do it. Just they have to accommodate me. can do me. double duty. Yeah. He'll be fine. Do what? <laughs> and Welcome to the conversation, Rippy. I lost you on the first part of that. You can't go to the Notre Dame game. Why? Because Borky's having a child? No, because Ole Miss has a game at Missouri that day. But I'm saying you could do double duty, Rippy. You could be the sideline reporter and cover the game for Super Talk Mississippi. I don't think anybody would want that. I don't know. You're growing on folks with that <laughs> dry, witty go sense of humor. Rippy on the sidelines, yeah. Yeah, this David, that really sucked. I don't know what just happened there. Matt Corral threw it to nobody in particular. I don't know if I'd give Kellum much to springboard off of if that game went sideways. <laughs> hey, um, most difficult stretch of the year for Mississippi State. I'll defer to you, hey, Dad. All right. Um, you know, obviously, the last three games, you have the Abilene Christian game, but Alabama and Ole Miss are always tough. But for me, it's the stretch of at Tennessee, LSU, at A&M, at Arkansas. You, no, you, lo- no, stop. Don't put Arkansas on the end of that. Just stop it after A&M. But it's a road game in the SEC. You don't ever know. I think State will win. But but fine, State needs to find at least one You had Arkansas going 0-12 like 15 minutes ago. Well, Arkansas at Arkansas is fair. Well, hold on. What time of year? Arkansas at Arkansas is fair. Yeah, and it's It's November November 2nd. They will be getting better at that point. Absolutely. They'll (laughs) they'll be 0-9, but man, every week. Every week. Now, at Tennessee, LSU, A&M, at A&M. If you're two and one in that, man, you're you're in great shape. But just one and two would probably be good enough. Two and one. Yeah, if you could find a way to go two and one in there, probably get one in Rocky Top. And A and M hasn't beaten Mississippi State uh, in the last three seasons, and State's won four of the last five. So I'm so- once again, Richard. I'm sorry that I think that State could win that game. Now, you don't have to apologize for that, but think about what Mississippi State had in comparison to what A&M had in four of the last five. Okay, what does A&M have In two have of those, it was Dak Prescott, wasn't it? No, Prescott was 1-1 against them. Fitzgerald beat them three straight times and owned them. He set records against them. You're right, he did. Yeah, He would have loved to have played A&M every week. It was like the, that was the game where he ran at will. Yeah, and, and he just could not seemed be Seemed to throw it a little bit better. You're right, yeah. Three of his best passing games were against Texas A&M. Okay. So those that's that's the stretch for me. Rippy, what's the most difficult stretch for Ole Miss? Month of September. 
You're not wrong. The month of most important or the most difficult? Both. Because, like, I mean, if you, I guess if you actually literally want to boil it down to the most difficult, it would be... They've got three non-conference games in Arkansas in September. You might tell me that's the most pivotal. It's not the most difficult, though, is it? Okay, the most difficult is... Oh, that's too long of a stretch. It actually, it, it actually does break up. The second half of the schedule is much more difficult for Ole Miss than the first half of the schedule. November at Auburn, you get New Mexico State in between, but then you get LSU and State to finish it. Porky, we didn't do a very good job laying out the rules for this game. Well, see, the thing is, that I, we kind of did the the whole rules thing organically. That wasn't the initial conversation; was just like an overall overreaching reaction, but. That's there probably are no rules. It. You can do whatever you want. We make the rules around here. The, you, you weren't pleased with that November answer stretch? Well, it is no, just I, a little disingenuous talking about difficult stretches on Ole Miss's schedule while ignoring what they have to do in September to make those difficult stretches matter at all. You know what I mean? That, I mean that, that's fair. But we're talking about most difficult, most challenging stretch, not most pivotal stretch. Yes, the month of September, and more importantly, the first four games of the year. Well, Tell the story of the season for Ole Miss. For me, it's going to be the month of October doing sideline reporting at Missouri. So that would be the most difficult stretch of my season. <laughs> i got to be honest, David, I wasn't even paying attention. Back to you. Would, would it add difficulty if it happened to rain that day? Yes, that feels like a rainy game. I don't have any explanation as why. We've got one left. We still haven't gotten to Texas A&M. That's okay, though. Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi. They'll be sawing Varsity's horns off. It'll be fine. I mean, at Georgia, at LSU to close out the season is not exactly a cakewalk for the Aggies. Good Lord. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Just after 5 o'clock, normally we bring you the college football fix. This will have a college angle to it. Spend a little time, though, on the NFL. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team. That's Mississippi Farm Bureau. Right now, joining us from the Dallas Morning News, John Machota. And, uh, John, appreciate a, a few minutes of your time this afternoon. This Dak Prescott story uh, is one that I think is interesting to a lot of people in Mississippi. I know it's interesting to a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans. Where is this thing headed and how quickly? Oh, I think it's headed to Dak Prescott getting a long-term deal with the Dallas Cowboys within uh, somewhere between now and uh, the end of training camp. I think something will get done. I mean, quarterback position that you really don't want to be dragging that thing out into the final year. I think the Washington Redskins and, and what they did with Kirk Cousins franchising him and kind of dragging that along kind of sent you for a template of, of what not to do in the situation. And uh, the bottom line is, regardless of how the fans feel or anybody on the outside feels, the Cowboys love Dak Prescott. And they understand how hard it is to find a franchise quarterback. They believe they have one in Dak. And, and because of that, you know, the going price continues to increase obviously the russell wilson deal contributed to that and and so dak's going to get a deal that's going to be in the upper 20s maybe low 30s per season uh in terms of millions of dollars and 
there's really nothing nothing that can be said about it. The Cowboys want to get it done. Dak wants to get it done. I think it gets done within the next few months. Let's let's unpack a couple of things there. It, it was intriguing to me that you said, regardless of what the fans want, is there a divide among Cowboys fans as to whether or not Dak is the guy and should be the kind of quarterback that gets a, a deal in the neighborhood of thirty million dollars? Yeah, no question about it. There's there's a yeah there's there's a significant divide in it. It's uh, um, it's not as simple as this, but if you're on if you're on social media enough, uh, those that who are against are those are who are for Dak getting the deal, and those are the Dak fans. Anybody that's against it, they those are the Tony Romo fans. They call them, you know. So it's people taking up hmm. for Tony Romo and think that Tony Romo should still be the quarterback, which obviously, uh, you know, you got to let that go. But I don't think that that's absolutely all the case. There's definitely people out there that just probably want to see a little bit more from him. Um, there are people that believe that you know he's got a surrounding cast around him that that's pretty darn good with the offensive line, Zeke. Amari Cooper, he's getting Jason Witten back. Um, that you know that he's more of a game manager, and that they'd probably feel a little bit more comfortable if it was maybe a contract in the low twenty million dollar per year range. But uh, that's just not the you know the market, and because of that, I think that's why you have some that are you know a little cautious about it because they don't want the team to be locked into somebody that maybe you know three four years down the road they feel like yeah maybe this isn't we made a mistake here and, and we're stuck with this contract, but. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a consensus by any means. And then on the other side of it is you have NFC East fans, you know, Eagles, Redskins, Giants, who don't think Dak's the guy either. And they're the ones that, when you know, I put up stories, they're in the comments saying things like, "I hope they do get this done. I hope he is there." <laughs> so it, it's interesting because I'm not used to that. I and mean, usually everyone's all on board with, "Oh, hey, let's keep this guy here long term." I mean, we just got done with the Demarcus Lawrence contract extension. Everyone's thrilled about that, but the Dak's an interesting one. That's for sure. You know, John, it, it, it's funny. We were talking about this, I think it was last Friday, and and I asked the question, is Dak Prescott a $30 million quarterback? And, I mean, we debated that all different ways, but I've realized as I've continued to think about it, that's not the right question because it isn't the right question with regard to dollars. Is Dak Prescott a $30 million quarterback in the current market? And I guess the answer to that is a resounding yes, isn't it? Yeah, because that's the that's the thing, you know. Depending on how long this deal goes for, what would happen if if it does get done, you know, sometime around training camp in in July or, or August? Um, it's one of those things where it'll probably be, you know, there people that don't want him to sign that, you know, Cowboys fans or or whatever that that would wish that he didn't get that much money. They'll sit there and, and they'll be skeptical of it and they'll criticize it but what will happen is that Jared Goff will get a new deal and then Carson Wentz will get a new deal and and other quarterbacks that are coming up and it'll slowly push Dak back down to being you know I I think he'll still end up being amongst the top 10 highest paid but it won't be as high as as what it'll be you know right when he signs and that's just the way that the market changes like that yeah it would 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 Dak agreeing to a slightly below market value deal um, let's say a twenty-four, twenty-five million dollar a year deal. Would that be a significant enough savings for the Cowboys that they would have the ability to drastically improve the pieces around him, or is that not enough of a savings? You know, that's that's a great question. I'll just, let me just put it. I, I mean, that, that's loaded question right there because I don't think that he's willing to take that. I mean, for 
For one, okay. he's been playing under a fourth year or a fourth round draft pick contract for the last three years. He certainly wants his money. Now he's he's done well with endorsements, and that comes with being the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. So I can see the argument where you say t- a guy take a little bit less. But here's the problem with all that. Even if he wanted to take a little bit less, is that he changed agents over a year ago to Todd France, and Todd France doesn't take deals. I mean, that's just not what he does. And so, you know, his reputation's on the line with this deal, too. And uh, it does him no favors to, to uh, take some team-friendly deal. And the Cowboys have been so open about how much they love Dak. And when I say the Cowboys, I mean Jason Garrett, Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones, you know, the, the decision-makers. I mean, Jerry just said right before the draft that, he wouldn't trade Dak for the first overall pick in the draft. So obviously that would have been to get like a Kyler Murray or, you know, whoever Haskins that, that you'd be interested in. But when you say that, I mean, that obviously shows the team how interested you are in him. And then the other thing is, is that this is the guy that you chose to go with over Tony Romo, who was your franchise quarterback, who you gave multiple contract extensions to. And, and this, this guy was there for over a decade. He's a guy that'll probably be in the ring of honor that Jerry Jones turns back and says that, you know, my biggest disappointment in my, in my career here as Cowboys owner is not winning a Super Bowl with Romo. You think that high of Romo, you replaced him with Dak? Mm-hmm. All the, the agent knows this. He's got all the leverage in the world. That there's just, I just don't see any way possible he takes some type of a, you know, a deal, like you said, like in the $24, $25 million a year ring. John Machota, Dallas Morning News, on your radio. We're talking a little Cowboys and a little Dak Prescott. This is the College Football Fix, driven by Ford. John, let, let, just, let's just use the $30 million as the round number. If they do a $30 million deal, and I guess this is kind of in the same vein as, as what I was asking a second ago, is there enough money left to do long-term deal for Amari, long-term deal for Zeke, and build an offensive line that can make those other investments make sense? There, I mean, there is, and the reason why I say it is because over these last few years, the Cowboys have been digging out of what has been popularly called down here cap hell. And so they're in a position now to, like, yes, they absolutely can keep those three together, which will be interesting because there's not a lot of teams that do that. I mean, there's not even another team in the league that is, you know, maxing out at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. So down here, obviously, you know, they they, they compare to the triplets of, you know, Aikman, Irvin, and, and Emmett. So, yeah, um, yeah the, the money's there. They can do it. They can give him that, you know. But they they want to try and save every every dollar they can for other purchases and what will happen is that if they do ultimately get all those big deals done it's just going to it's going to put them in a position where they're not going to be able to add any significant pieces in free agency and to be honest with you they really haven't done that anyway it's been all about the draft here and that's the reason that this Cowboys team's been able to get through that quote unquote cap hell is because they've drafted well and so that's what will happen they'll get those deals done and it'll just put even more pressure on them that they can't have a bad draft because they're going to need these picks to hit and so they have up until this point over the last few years um, but that's just how it's going to be going forward because those are the key pieces. That's what they want to build around. So, yeah, no, they definitely have the money to get that done in the $30 million range. Okay, you mentioned the successful drafts in recent years. I know Jerry is forever going to be Jerry Jones. I, I get that, and he loves a microphone in front of his face. But it feels like, and this is very much outside looking in, so correct me if I'm wrong, that Stephen Jones' role is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as his role gets bigger and he's got more say-so, and maybe even a little more sway over Dad. It feels like the Cowboys organization is being run better, and it's getting smarter. Is that a reasonable observation, or am I way off base? No, no. I mean, it's reasonable for sure. I mean, Jerry's always going to have the end say on things, but Jerry's been known over the years of being a really good listener. Now, to a fault, 
it's it's very popular down here. People will say, uh, and, and people that I've talked to that are that are close to Jerry Jones, that often what happens is uh, for a long time, whoever got Jerry's ear last before making the decision, um, a lot of times won out. Hmm. Now, I think that there's no question that Stevens taken on a larger role. Stephen was head up. He was running the Demarcus Lawrence contract negotiations. So, um, yeah, he's taken on a bigger role without a doubt. But you just got to be careful there on, on just uh, assuming that he, you know he's making the final calls because as long as Jerry Jones is around, Jerry Jones is going to have his say. Um, and when it comes back to Dak, though, uh, it wouldn't matter either way because both of them, uh, you know, Jerry and Steven, are both completely on board. Uh, with him being the franchise quarterback for the foreseeable future. John, really good visiting with you. Appreciate your time this afternoon, and I hope we can do it again in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. That is uh, from the Dallas Morning News, John Machota, and uh, really interesting stuff with regard to Dak Prescott, the Cowboys, and where that franchise is headed. Time for the college football fix, driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. We'll tell you this, that first responders and military veterans for the next six weeks or so have got, uh, you've got an opportunity to uh, save extra money when you buy a Ford truck or SUV or car we're going to give you some more details. We're going to do something in conjunction with Ford as well. We want to hear from you. And I'm just going to let you start thinking about this a little bit. But we want to hear about stories from your hometown. Whether you're in North Mississippi, you're in the Delta, you're in the Pine Belt, you're in East Mississippi, or you're on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, we've all got heroes among us, right? Maybe it's veterans who served in wars from many years ago in more recent international conflicts, or maybe it's a first responder that lives in your community that's a fireman or a police officer or um, an EMT or somebody that works with you know in conjunction with the hospital. We've got heroes all among us, and Ford is honoring first responders and veterans from now through the 4th of July. And we're going to highlight some of those stories as we move forward starting uh, probably Monday Memorial Day. We're going to have a military salute on Monday, and we're going to have a first responder Friday. And we're going to give you the opportunity between now and Memorial Day to give us some stories that we can share with the entire state of Mississippi as we honor veterans, military personnel, and first responders through uh, really from Memorial Day to Fourth of July, and uh, we're going to try and have some fun doing that, and look forward to uh, to some really sco- cool stories. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a next door neighbor, maybe it's somebody who has uh, been influential in your life, and you want to tell a story about them. We want to hear those, and we'll share some of the best ones. Uh, Borky, we will uh, figure out the best way to collect those stories and uh, then begin to share them as we uh, we move forward. Story in the Athletic. More supply than demand in the transfer portal. Michael, what do we know about this? Pretty much what has happened uh, to, to make a long and very well-done detailed story, which is natural for the Athletic, to make a long story short, there are far more people, far more football players, that have entered the transfer portal 
than teams that are looking for players in the transfer portal. They have found that uh, there are, what, 450 guys in the transfer portal and only 95 have been picked up by Division One programs. They There is no demand for guys in the transfer market, and they've especially run into this problem where players that are entering the transfer portal are guys that didn't win starting jobs or guys, like in Ole Miss's case, that have been recently suspended. Guys that kind of got buried in depth charts that weren't finding their way into a rotation And they enter the transfer portal expecting to be able to go to another Power 5 program and finding that Power 5 programs don't need another project guy. They've already got enough of them as it is. And the the major programs like Oklahoma, for example, was quoted in this. If they're going into the transfer portal, they're going to address an immediate need and somebody that will impact their program right away. And most of the people in the portal do not fit that mold. So guys are deciding to up and leave and transfer thinking that they can just go wherever they want, and they're finding that that is not really the case. And there are some reasons for that. Let's give you some raw numbers first. At just the Power 5 level, Power 5 only, so you're talking ACC, SEC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, more than 450 players have entered the portal, according to the Transfer Portal Tracker at 24-7 Sports. At the moment, of those 450 players, 240 of them are uncommitted. More than half are uncommitted. When you include group of five players, the total currently unavailable, the the, the total that is currently uncommitted is more than 400 players. Is this Herm Edwards that's quoted in this story? Yes, it is. Okay, so Herm Edwards, former NFL coach, head coach at Arizona State, upon hearing the percentages... Because he himself had 12 guys enter the portal. Of the 450 players that are looking to leave Power 5 schools, only 20% have ended up at another Power 5 program. When Herm Edwards heard that percentage, he paused and said, I'm actually going to go tell our team that. I want to make sure they understand this because I don't want a kid to be blindsided. Why is it that there's so many players that are still hanging out there? Because most teams would like to pick new guys up that they think might fit. Well, it's because of the 25, the the initial 25 scholarship rule that's in place. When the NCAA put that hard cap in place years ago, what, 2010, 11, 12 somewhere in there, Houston Nut Territory. became A lot of people called it the Houston Nut Rule. You put a hard cap on being able to offer 25 scholarships, and the only variation from that is when you're able to count backwards. And that means that in most cases, teams have very little wiggle room to go and sign somebody out of the transfer portal. Matt Luke talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They've got 22 signees. They had three spots open. Well, isn't it a lot of the, I guess, rigidness because they're guaranteed for four years, too, and like basketball to where you can just take a scholarship, like year to year, a lot more? Well, but but most teams have got some wiggle room with their, their total number of 85. 
But it's not as much wiggle room as like you see in hoops where you just... Or you have complete roster turnover year from, from one year to the next. Right. That's true. But again, most teams have got some wiggle room within that 85 number. That's not the issue. The issue is having only 25 and then needing to back count. And a lot of times with those with the back counting that you're doing, you're taking mid-year enrollees and trying to get those guys in so that you can get them in in the spring. There are all kinds of problems with the transfer portal right now. Not problem. I mean, it's working okay. It's just the reality that, oh, it's easy to transfer. I'm going to put my name in the transfer portal. And then you realize that, you know, if you're not an elite guy, maybe your landing spot or your, your opportunities for a good landing spot are not nearly what you thought they were going to be. Might it's teach kids to stick it out is really what it comes down to. It is. Or, or Yeah, you're, you're right. That may be a lesson that's going. Let me jump to another subject that we talked about yesterday. The name, image, likeness debate that's going on. And we all kind of talked about the fact that we were on board, generally speaking, with that. I had an athletic administrator send me a text message today. And he said, some of these things may have already been brought up, but they're legitimate issues that administrators are having to work with. Who will keep track of the earnings of the players who are making money on their name and likeness. All athletic department staff members have to disclose outside income, although not employees, student-athletes, will have to be monitored for compliance reasons, or you'll end up with an SMU scenario. That was his first point. I don't His particularly feel bad for an athletic department that has a $100 million budget having to hire another few people to keep track of their players getting what they deserve, but that's just okay. me. And that's fine. What about this? With school sponsors, sponsorship and media rights tied up, how will student-athletes be tied to this? Coke versus Pepsi. Nike versus Under Armour or Adidas. Would Zion be allowed to promote Adidas in a Duke uniform? When Adidas is, uh, Duke is a Nike school, would an Arkansas basketball player be able to, or an Arkansas football player, be able to promote Coke when Pepsi is the official soft drink provider of Arkansas athletics? Did they have any say in the agreement that was made by the school, and do they get any kind of cut from the agreement that was made by the school? The answer is no. no. Of course, so of course they don't. Then they should be able to do what they want. Yeah, but if hold on a second now. If I'm paying a million dollars a year to be the exclusive provider of a certain product, of my product, to a school, and I've got an agreement in place, then I believe that the school is going to protect me in that. All at the expense of the people that are actually doing the labor. Got to protect the corporations and the $100 million athletic departments, though. So we're back to not assigning any value to the education or all the stuff that goes along with it. Last point was how will the advertiser or student-athlete pay for licensing for using school marks, including uniforms and logos? Everybody else has to pay for that. Don't use them. Let's continue that conversation next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Mm -hmm. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday afternoon. Getting closer to the start of college baseball tonight. Game one of the nights, Vanderbilt and Kentucky. They are just underway in Lexington. Glad to have you along. Um, Some tweets and some text messages as well with regard to the idea of paying players. Let's see here. Quinn says, I think it's great. Players should keep their commitment. This will help. That's in um, with regard to the transfer portal. Will and Batesville. Only reason those schools are able to get any of those endorsements is because they have talented players on the rosters. If the players aren't getting a cut and don't have a say, it's not really fair. A full-ride scholarship to get a degree of your choice is a big deal, but some players don't care about that. Some players want to be a professional athlete and don't want to have a degree to do that. Free college tuition is very valuable, however. If I want to be a teacher, I'm not forced to compete in a sport to get my degree to be a teacher. If I want to be a professional athlete, there aren't many paths to that career without having to get a degree. Other side of the coin, Randy and the Delta. College athletes should not be paid. There are students uh, who are working their rear ends off to get a degree that don't get paid either. A nursing student, for example. It doesn't make millions, though, for the university. Yeah. But I'm actually more interested in where this started. Like, where prompted the NCAA to even look at this? Like, are we finally seeing some sort of self-awareness? Well, that would be nice. There are multiple states that have legislators that are trying to pass, basically forcing the NCAA to let the players benefit off of their name and likeness. That's where this is coming from. It's in response to, I think Virginia's one of them, uh, but multiple states now have moved forward with legislation to force them to change this with their local in-state institutions. It's not going to go anywhere, and they can't really do anything about it, but that's what they're doing, and that's what this is in response to. And, and so the NCAA, we talked about yesterday, has put together a working group to examine name, image, and likeness issues. And so that's why this conversation is, is relevant at this point. We're just talking about some of the challenges that go along with this. And, and Borky, I don't necessarily disagree with some of the points you're making. Okay, the university's got to, universities have got to hire a couple more people to monitor all of this and make sure that they're dotting I's and crossing T's. That's fine. I think the point is, and the point in that text message to me was, it's not just as simple as, you know what, let's allow athletes to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. And... Let's just put that in play, and we'll do it, and we'll move forward, and everybody will be happy. No, there's, there's a lot a, of problems with the Olympic model. There's a lot that's got to go into it. Yeah. But and as my buddy Hamp says, it, Nike is the official sponsor of the NBA and the NFL. They have guys that have shoe deals with everybody. Seems to work out just fine. But that's part of what's negotiated on the front end. That's not what's been negotiated on these college deals. Well, then... Figure it out. Renegotiate the deal. Do something. I just don't. This idea that oh well, the you know the schools have these contracts that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, and well, they'll have to alter those contracts a little bit to allow the players to get what they're due. Um, just doesn't sit well with me. I'm sorry, multi-million dollar athletic department. I don't feel bad for you. I feel bad for the 19-year-old Zion Williamson who busts through a shoe that he's forced to wear and almost destroys his opportunity to earn the millions of dollars that he's going to because he had to play for free for a year. 
I don't know that it's about feeling sorry for one side or the other. It's the logistics of making it work. Well, yeah, but the, the administrator, the athletic administrators that are so worried about their contracts, well, you have all of the money. You well, have but, all but of the resources. You figure it out. Okay, but, but as a result of having those resources, they're able to put together the amenities and offer the scholarships and, and build the stadiums. And all of those things are great. Get to play in, and there, all you, those things are but, great, and all those things. But have if you ex- strip away that money, how do they pay for all those things and continue to have all of that stuff? If you're stripping away all the opportunity to for the universities to make money in ten years, how much has Ole Miss's athletic budget increased? It's doubled. It's gone to about a hundred, almost one hundred and fifteen million dollars. So in two thousand nine, because of television rights, primarily, were they able to field a football team in two thousand and nine? Did they well, all have they helmets were. and shoulder pads and uniforms and a place to work out and a place to practice and indoor, really nice indoor facility in two thousand and nine? Uh sure. They had access to medical care in two thousand and nine. Yeah, but I mean, surely you're not going to argue that medical care costs haven't changed in the last decade. No, but what I'm saying is they were able to pay for it when their athletic budget their athletic budget was cut in half, and now suddenly I have to be worried about losing costs? My point is simply you got to pay for all of this stuff, so where are you going to cut money if you can't make the same amount of money. But th- that's the whole point of the letting the players benefit from their own name and likeness on their own, absent of the school, is it wouldn't cost the school anything. That's the point. The only thing the school would have to do is make sure their contracts don't overlap. So get with your $200 million athletic budget, get your high-priced lawyer, or go to the law school down the street and figure it out. Tyler on the C Spire text line, Borky's right. Sorry, Cross. We're not arguing. We're, we're, no, we're that's talking. the thing. We're not arguing about it. I'm just asking all the the the, the questions that go along with implementing. And it. those have to be answered. I mean, Title Nine has to be answered. I actually I talked about this on, on my podcast this morning, and I argued against myself, which is really easy for me to do, apparently. Uh, but there's, I mean, you have to. Worry about Title IX. Even though you would open it up to all athletes, it is quite obvious that the men athletes would get a lot more opportunities to get a lot more money than women. I, that, that's just how it would work out. And you know something Title IX related would come. Also, would you have to regulate this? Is there Would there be a cap limit? Or, I mean, even though I love Zion Williamson, especially now, he seems like a really bright kid. There are instances in the past that everybody listening to this is aware of where there's been a recruit, a young kid, a young athlete who had people around him, and this even happens to NFL players as well, that are handlers or an estranged uncle or something that comes into the picture and doesn't have the kid's best interest at heart and damages them either financially or or whatever. So are you going to leave this up to the kids themselves to go – hire an agent and and deal with ad agencies on their own? Probably not, because that would end in disaster for the kid or or, or somebody else. There's a lot of things that they have to figure out here. But I'm not going to let, well, the athletic departments and their massive contracts they get forcing their kids to wear certain equipment so they can pad their pockets. That's the least of my concerns. Steven says, all I care about is will I get NCAA football, the video game, back again? And it sounds likely. Steven and I are in the same boat. 
Ron makes an interesting point. He says, Richard, if you owned a business and Borky worked for you, you wouldn't allow him to promote some other product from your business if it went against your sponsors. You're talking about owning a business or, or what? Because how do you have sponsors if you own a business? Well, this radio show is part of a business, and this show has sponsors. You couldn't just go out and get, you know, your own sponsors to promote that compete necessarily with the sponsors that we have on the show. No, but what I could do is find somebody that would pay me to endorse a product, and that would be okay. They advertise on our show, and I do a commercial for them. That is possible. There you go. You should get that done. I would love for that to happen. Somebody call me, please. Borky at supertalk.fm. Email me there. I would love to endorse your product, whatever it is. Couldn't care less. I like money. But I, no, 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 no. That's not the right approach. It's, it's I care about your product, not I couldn't care less about your product. Oh, I'll tell people I care all day long, and I'll use it happily. But I guess the point is, I have, although it is limited, I would have freedom to do that. As long as it didn't go against one of our competitors. C Spire is a big friend of ours. I, I could not go do that with another cell phone company. So do you restrict it with college athletes? It's another thing they have to navigate, and I would understand if they did. Yeah. It's a bunch of layers they have to get through. But in business, I have the fr- in this business, I have the freedom to do that as long as it doesn't compete and I don't have like another show that I'm trying to sell ads for. Randy says, I call bull on this. If you want to be an engineer, you go to Mississippi State because they have a well-known engineering program. If you want to be a nurse, you go to the W because they have a well-known nursing program. If you grow up in Mississippi and you want to go to law school, you go to Ole Miss because they've got a law school. I think his point is, if you want to get to the NFL, you go to a place that helps you get to the NFL, and that's what a lot of these college football programs come on. Right, but how does that apply to what we're talking about? Keith and JS, so y'all all have C Spire phones, drive Ford trucks, and have your mortgage with Mississippi Farm Credit, Farm uh, Mississippi Land Bank. Yes, sir. I do. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Over me.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.